you start? So do you follow through, or do you just want to? I mean, you are a risk-taking, danger-seeking, thrill-seeking freakazoid, is what you are. Did you, yeah, church, yeah. Did you want to change, or did you change any of your title slides, Jason? Because there's one in for each of our little homilies, yeah. So we have Solid Rock, and then we have Scripture Reading, Psalm 87 by Robin, Pastoral Bear Terry, and then we go, okay, so you're doing Pastoral Prayer, and then, then we had Art. Well, we do, we do this, yeah. Well, you could you could take that one with you and come around behind. I don't think I don't think that one's going to reach from the floor up to if you're doing stuff around here. Will that reach, Charlie? Or we we've got the hands free. get that to be in tune when I tune the piano. Um, um, I was going to say um, the order that, that we have I think 
I think we start out with welcome and announcements, birthday, birthdays and anniversaries, then we go to Solid Rock, and then we went to Scripture reading Psalm 87, and then to Jason on the pastoral prayer. Let's um, do the pastoral prayer right after the Solid Rock. Yeah, let's just let's change that order. Actually, you know what? Let's do this. Jason, let's move you because announcements are uh, and birthdays, anniversaries, stuff like that. Why don't you do the pastoral prayer right after welcome announcements, birthdays, and anniversaries? Before Solid Rock. And then we can do Solid Rock, Psalm 87, and then Ark. What's that? Yeah. I was on 18. All right, so let me see if I can find a different patch cord. Okay, I, I honestly think it's the box or the cord. The box hasn't been a problem, um, but this little, this short quarter to quarter might just be it. There's not another input on either the box or the thing, so I'm 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 kind of betting the cord. Uh, I went and looked. We got a, a a big huge one for the base. I, let me just grab that real quick. Oh. I'll grab it. Be faster. Exactly. I'm going to keep talking because I can talk even from all the way back here. This is fun.
penis. The only one I need is the not in need resistance. Test, 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 test. have not done no list of virtues i pursue no list of those i am not like can earn myself a place with you oh god be merciful to me i am a sinner through and through my only hope of righteousness is not in me, but only you. No humble dress, no fervent prayer, no lifted hands, no tearful song. No recitation of the truth can justify a single wrong. My righteousness is Jesus' life. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. I, my very Lord, was born to him. It was a battery. It was a new battery last Sunday. Yep.
Okay. You can take that back. Oh, yeah. Think of that. And I, maybe it's just because it's early and my voice is bad, but I, I feel like I'm really loud. I don't know if it's... Monitors can come down. Yeah. Oh, okay. What I don't know is whether or not you have the key change in that. Okay. Okay, so here... Sunday. Uh, we've been in the habit of reviewing where we've been, and so Jason and I are going to take turns reviewing where we've been uh, and looking ahead to where we're going to go. Uh, we've been in the book of Philippians, and so I thought it might be nice to go take a big step back and do a quick survey or, or, or an overview of what this letter really is. So um, I hope you've read it, and I hope after we're done today you read it again and maybe read it a little differently. Um, I think this letter is a most personal letter. Uh, it is very loving. Um, it's as personal, I think, as his letters to Timothy. It has a tone that suggests that Paul is, knows he's nearing the end of his ministry. This is a call to faithful people, folk that supported him in prayer, but also financially, who are themselves either under persecution or know that it's coming. The letter pulls together these two sets of opposites. First, suffering and joy. And second, heaven and the world. This letter is so personal, uh, and yet I think from our perspective, when I read the Bible, it's easy to think of this as a letter that arrives uh, at the front door of the church. And it has as its address 
just Eatonville Baptist Church, Eatonville, Washington, and that's how it got here. But this is not that kind of letter. This letter is delivered in person. When Paul is in jail, when he's definitely suffering, it's written by people, written by Paul to people who have sweat, prayed, laughed, and cried with him. The letter is delivered in person to the people that Paul loved. So this letter is not addressed to a building, but to their hearts. So how do you personalize that? Let's say, uh, let's say Dan goes to Washington, D.C. He goes on a mission to the East Coast. And there he's arrested and put in jail for preaching on Pennsylvania Avenue. How would we reach him? I know we'd be tempted to send a text. <laughs> hey, Dan, sorry about the jail thing. See you soon. No. Maybe we send him an email. I could send an email to Dan saying, hey, Dan, heard you were in jail. Uh, let us know if you need anything. By the way, could you review my sermon notes for this Sunday? Appreciate it. Good luck, Tom. We could, oh, we could put, we could go on Facebook. We could start a GoFundMe for Dan to get him out of jail. Now, I think we'd want and need more than that. We'd want to send someone to put eyes on Dan. Teresa's probably with him. She's probably doing everything that she can. And they need our help. So who are we going to send to maybe bail him out of jail, to maybe help him find a lawyer, to feed him, to take care of him? So who do you think we'd send? Dan knows who I'm going to send. Uh, Peter and Gloria Lowe. Why am I going to send Peter and Gloria Lowe? Because they know the way. They've already got a trailer. They... <laughs> They've already been there and they're back. And so we'll just send them to go get Dan. It'll be easy for them, right? Now, we'd send Peter and Gloria because we trust them. Because we know they would carry the message. They would see it through. See, they would be our Epaphroditus. They would be our representative. And then they'd come back with a letter from Dan. And that letter would be just like the letter we read in Philippians. If we did that, by the time we hit verse 3, we'd be sobbing, knowing how much he's suffering. Now, I've broken two rules, or rule number two in preaching. The first rule is never bore someone with the gospel. The second one is never call people out by name. And, and it's even, not even fair. Peter and Gloria aren't here, are they? No. They're not even here, so wait till they get here next Sunday. <laughs> right? But doesn't Paul do that in chapter 4? He calls people out by name. He's that personal. It should be this personal to us when we read this. Paul pours out his heart pointing to Christ, the one who reconciles joy and suffering, who reconciles living in the world but being more like him. Paul encourages, exemplifies, edifies, and gives evidence of God's provision for all of us. Paul's hope is that we look at joy and suffering, the world and heaven, not as A versus B, 
not as good versus bad, but entirely through the eyes of Christ and not our own. And in that, we'd find our hope. We'd know how to live and how to be. And we'd find our cause. So let's sing. Philippians 1, 1 through 12. One of the great privileges I have each morning during the weekdays along our building, outside our building, with our principal, Nick uh, Berkeley, at my work at Eatonville Elementary School, is to monitor the student entry door from 745 to 805 every day. All the students who walk to school or are dropped off by parents enter this door on their way to morning meeting in the gym or pass by it on the way to the commons for breakfast. There's nothing I enjoy more for 100 minutes every week than greeting each student, parent, and colleague that walks by that door. What a blessing and a joy it is for me to greet at least 150 to 200 people every single morning, each day, with a hearty, good morning, it is good to see you, and to have that 20 minutes of momentary daily connection. Many times, students will make a cheerful greeting in return. Hello, Mr. Hunter. Or some will just smile in acknowledgement while others will pass by without even a crack of a smile or eye contact. Others will pass through the door with obvious burdens on their young hearts and pain written with worry written across their faces. Or some may even enter the building in tears, bringing a broken heart or a heart of fear into the building. To these latter students, the morning does not feel good at all. And they are dreading the day that lies ahead, or they are re dreading returning home in the evening. The question then arises, is the day really good when we are going through pain, hardship, trials, grief, hopelessness. If it is, then what makes each morning good? Thankfully, the answer is found not in our experience or where we're at. It's found in the Word of God. Six times in the creation process, God declares the day and what he created good. And one time at the end of the whole process, the, all of creation is created. It is done. It is complete. He says it is very good. Psalm 118.24, very well-known psalm. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
This is what makes a good day. The Lord has made it. For that we can rejoice and be glad in it, regardless of our burdens, illness, tribulations, traumas we are going through, or if we are just having a very bad hair day. The problem is not that God has made a bad day for us, because he has declared every day good. The problem is our perception of what determines a good day. And we often end up missing the 24-hour blessing that is right in front of us as a gift from God. You're probably wondering, okay, Jason, you're on one big rabbit trail considering you're supposed to be summarizing Philippians 1 through 11. What I want us to see, brothers and sisters, is that just as good of good morning never changes, regardless of our circumstances, there are two critical words found in, in chapters 1, 1 through 11, that are so easily skimmed over because they are so common throughout the scriptures, the whole of scriptures, and especially the New Testament, that we so often miss the reality and the power of them in our lives. To the apostles, these two words were foundational truths and used as bookends in nearly all the apostles and letters in the New Testament. These two words are found at the beginning and end of Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and first and second Peter. One of the words is also used at the beginning of Colossians, second John, and Jude, and the end of third John. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord, they bookend every day of your life, whether you are aware of them or not. What are the two words? This is my scrap box. This represents my life that my mom, my wife have kind of salvaged. On the end of one is grace. On the other one is peace. They are there. They have been there. They have been faithful. God has been faithful to me for 47 years, whether I'm aware of it or not. <laughs> Philippians 1-2, <laughs> grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Psalms, this would be a Selah moment. Think about it. Ponder it. How does the Apostle Paul end the letter to the Philippians? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's in chapter 4, verse 23. These words bookend the book of Philippians and all the other books I just mentioned. I encourage you to go back into your Bible and highlight them. 
and to ponder them daily. So why did the apostles insert these two words into the salutation and the complimentary close of these epistles? Was it just a nicety or a cultural norm? No, they were strategically placed there by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. God ordained that grace and peace permeate the scripture so that we understand that it is not by our might or by our will that we can achieve forgiveness of sins. A life free from the bondage of sin, a new heart, and a life overflowing with thankfulness and good works. But it is by his power and cleansing through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our trusting in him for salvation and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace are not dependent upon you and me and our circumstances. They are dependent upon Jesus Christ and him alone. Grace and peace is a gift from God to you and to me through Jesus Christ and him alone. I keep repeating that for a reason. Without grace found through Jesus Christ, we will never experience true peace. Never. We can pursue it all we want. We will never experience it unless we have that grace of Christ. Without the bookends of grace and peace in our life, from the moment we awake each day to the moment we lay our heads down each night, we will be powerless, absolutely powerless, to live out a life of righteousness, good fruits, and true joy that is found between these bookends. With this truth in mind, let us read and review Philippians 1 through 11. I will read. You can follow along with me. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, and I'm going to insert here, to all the saints in Jesus Christ who are in Edenville Baptist Church, with the overseers and deacons, here it is, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always and in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Even though the Apostle Paul pens this letter while in prison for the sake of the gospel, Notice the spirit of joy and encouragement that is found in his words to the Philippians. There is no hint of dread. There is no sense of woe is me. May we also daily walk in that same spirit 
and be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. with uh, John Hoffman yesterday, briefly, and I wanted to walk through his sermon from last Sunday and to see if there was anything else you'd like to add. And he said, well, just this. They're excited beyond words to be here. They should arrive by December 1st. They're started, they've started to pack. He's given his two weeks notice, and they've started the bittersweet process of saying goodbye to friends and family. Excited to look forward, bittersweet, leaving behind. We were blessed to hear John preach through the first chapter of Philippians over the last two Sundays, and pointed he pointed us to what an all-for-Christ life means. In suffering, there is joy. So much so that as much as Paul can affect the outcome, he chews further suffering to serve the gospel than the joy of being with Christ. Suffering is to be expected. Not like we think of suffering today. Our cultural mindset is that all suffering is bad. You hear it on every commercial, in every TV program, in every political ad, in every clickbait on your, on your browser. Everything tells us every day suffering is bad. Suffering should never happen. Suffering isn't fair. I think culturally, we may fear suffering more than we fear death. In a country as wealthy as ours, no one should ever suffer in any way. If you are suffering, you're a victim. If you are suffering, that means this is a crisis. And if there's a crisis, it means somebody's created that crisis and they are to blame. And somebody should do something about it. If not your neighbor, then the government. Somebody should do something about your suffering because it is bad. It should never happen and it isn't fair. And in our culture, I think we look at joy as when someone gets married or when a baby is born, or when you're really, really happy. In our country today, we count joy. We measure joy in Monday night football wins, in baseball series, in election results, in budgets, in cash in our wallet, in something we can qualify. And in joy and in suffering, if that's our mindset, we are wrong. Suffering will happen, and fair has got nothing to do with it. It is part of life, part of even the Christian life. We are never promised easy. Joy isn't a highest measure of happiness. It is the hope and cause of Christ that defines our lives. Paul counted it all joy to live as Christ and to die is gain. Philippians verse 21. John reminded us of Romans 5, 3 to 5. And not only this, we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance, perseverance, 
and perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And so Paul defined and lived out the proper response to Christ. To conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ so that neither, so that whether or not I come to you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the sake of the gospel. That's out of verse 27 from Philippians 1. Just like joy, just like suffering, aren't something to measure. Worthiness here isn't a legal measurement of conduct, but a conduct that is based on a deeper joy that the world can't see or won't ever see unless we conduct ourselves with hope and joy in Christ, even when our world is shaken. Let's sing. This reality, this is my name, put your name here. Because of this reality, what are we empowered to live? I would like us, to, the next two months we're going to be finishing out the book of Philippians. I would like us to do I'd like us to do a little overview of where we are going. To prepare us, let us do a look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, a life of grace and peace demonstrates itself by, according to verse 2, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind with one another as with Christ. In verse 3, in humility, counting others more significant than ourselves. In verse 4, looking to the interests of others. In verse 20, in 14, doing all things without grumbling and disputing. That's an easy one. <clears throat> verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. Chapter 3. A life of grace and peace demonstrates itself by our rejoicing in the Lord. Verse 2, being aware of evildoers. Verse 3, worshiping by the Spirit of God, glorifying in Christ Jesus, and putting no confidence in the flesh. And P.S., this is not an exhaustive list. Verse 8, counting everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Stop sign. Every piece of music, and I know this is true for literature as well, has a series of small climactic points as the song progresses. These smaller climactic points build one upon the other and ultimately culminate in the major climactic point of the entire song. In my opinion, the climactic verses for the entire letter, the entire epistle of Philippians, are found in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 3. A life of grace and peace demonstrates itself by our being found in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that we may know him and the power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The Apostle Paul then continues the expression of a life of grace and peace in chapter 3. By our forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, holding true to what we have attained in Jesus Christ. Verse 17, watching and imitating those who walk in Christ. In chapter 4, a life of grace, a grace and peace demonstrates itself by our standing firm in the Lord, agreeing with one another in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord always. We saw that earlier. Demonstrating gentleness, being anxious about nothing, making prayer and supplication to God for all things, thinking about what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and anything worthy of praise. Verse 11, learning to be content in all situations. And finally, verse 13, doing all things in Christ who strengthens you and strengthens me. Paul then finishes his letter to the brothers and sisters in Philippi and to us with the following benediction and bookend of grace. And our God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So one of the things as we uh, come together in communion is our opportunity to acknowledge all the things that Tom and Jason have shared. And I just want to remind us as we uh, come together to participate in, our, in the Lord's Supper that the Lord's Supper does remind us of what Jesus has done in the past for you and I. He died for us. That's grace. His grace has been poured out on us. It is also a symbol of our present relationship with him. It just, you know, I, I just think of uh, Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. But the life I now live, I live, I live by, by faith in the Son of God. And uh, that's just a reminder. It's a symbol. And that it's also a promise of what he will do in the future. You know, one of the things that Jesus told his disciples, and I think about it, so so often is he says I will not partake of this cup again until I see you again and one day we will see him face to face and I do believe personally that Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior will offer us a, in remind a, a reminder of the Lord's Supper as we participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb truly Jesus will 
bring us and he will offer true peace as we will be with him in, in heaven forever and ever. And so uh, one of the things uh, we have gone to uh, serving in this capacity here, and I just want to just encourage you, there, is our, there are two cups in there. One is uh, holds a bread, one holds a cup of, of juice, and that you would just take those. And if you want to come as husband, wife, families, uh, come and uh, just uh, as as we are singing songs, just just come and participate together. We just invite you to to, to be that. Uh, also, if you cannot uh, get up from where you are, we have someone that will serve. If you just raise your hand, uh, our elder Daryl Cummins will come and serve you from uh, from back there. And, and uh, so, please, we just uh, this this is for believers. This is for believers to acknowledge that God is not only our rock, but he is our savior. He is the one who gave us Jesus Christ. And so we come before him. So I just want to pray for this time as we participate together in our family Sunday. Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, as you said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, you also took the cup and you said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood, which is, again, for you. Lord, thank you for the reminders that you give us for what you have done. Lord, thank you for the fact that we can acknowledge, Lord, that, um, Lord, that we have a relationship with you that is eternal. God, we want to say thank you for that. And Father, we look forward to the promise of the future. Father, a future hope, a future joy. Father, a joy that surpasses all understanding. Father, because we will be with you in glory. God, we look forward to that day. So Lord, as we participate today, we thank you, God, for the offering of your body as a sacrifice for our sin the shedding of your blood, Lord, for the covering of our sin. God, we thank you for all that you have done for us, that you have given us. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to participate together. And we ask these things now in Jesus' wonderful and precious name. Amen.